This is Kevin Evans with the chapter-by-chapter -chapter live class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are studying the Gospels specifically. We are in John 16. And last week we finished up the four verses in chapter 16 that finishes up Christ's point to the disciples about how, well, he's about to die and not be the imperial leader they were all hoping for and persecution is about to come down in their heads and they're all about to be thrown out of the church or worse and they're all sitting there with a stunned look on their face going what that's not what I signed up for and then we move on and so today we are uh, going to pick it up at verse 5 and the rest of chapter 16, Christ basically says that he is about to leave the world and that they are to rejoice because when he leaves, the counselor will come and the relationship that they have with him and with God is going to shift and it will be better which is an interesting thing to drop on them right there. So that's where we're going with it. I'm going to read verse 1 through 16. I usually take on the whole chapter, but I think I read that last week. Let, let, let's chew up 16, and if we can manage to get through this today, and there's a lot in here, we will move on. So beginning at verse 5, Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asked me, Where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, you will convict the world of, uh, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can, no longer, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only when he, what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to you by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while, you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me. So, now I am going to him who sent me. Going back to verse 5. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? getting there so why does he say you're not asking me where I'm going um, I had one commentator that is saying that they are all in shock and they're being selfish and they're all concerned about their uh, you know plans in the new empire that they thought was coming and how that's all been crushed 
and uh, Christ has suddenly dropped this big bomb on them about, oh wait, that's not what our ministry is all about. And so they're all worried about themselves and they're not worried about Christ, even though Christ said basically he's about to die. Uh, I don't like that interpretation. Uh, he has been telling them that he is about to go he has been telling them what their position in the, the kingdom is. Uh, and, and in verse, in, 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 in chapter 13, he specifically spells all that out for them. Uh, I think they get it. I think they get that he's about to die and that he's not going to be this emperor that they were hoping for. Uh, they understand that his kingdom is one uh, that is spiritual. Uh, and he says that all this bad stuff is about to happen to them, and they are sitting there processing that. And I think that's what's happening. And he says, I notice you're not asking me anything. I don't think it's unconcern for Christ. I think it's, I think it's a lot for them. They're internalizing it. Now, I'm going to ask you who sent me, yet none of you ask, where are you going? Because they know that already. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief, but I tell you the truth, is, uh, uh, it is for your good that I'm going away. Okay, Bill, you had a point. Well, the point is that these men were Israelites. They knew the scripture, clear back to Isaiah. Yes. That, that was prophesied about him coming, him dying, him suffering. So I don't think that they were caught off guard when he called them to go with him. I think they, they knew what they were getting into. They, they knew that this was going to be, well, basically it was going to be a journey that, you know, was going to be up and down. And as they followed Jesus and as they saw people try to kill him and stone him and everything else, I think they kind of picked up that, you know, if I'm part of the crowd with him, then I'm part of the one that's going to get some of this too. I think oh, they... Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, that's I, what the I, previous I, chapter... But on the other hand... The world I mean, he's, he, there I, is a certain logic. I, well, I, I'm kind of in the middle with this. I think they knew, but they didn't know. And let me explain. They, a couple years ago, the youth department here had this thing, you know, they'd come, you could hire them to do work for you. Yeah. And the rate of make speed the light or something, I can't remember. And Faith hired three of our young men in our youth group. How'd that go? Well, I'm about to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know them. this story already. <laughs> I warned these guys. I said, my wife hired you, right? They go, yeah. I said, she's going to work you hard. And they go, we know. I said, no, you know. I said, she's going to work you hard. Go, We're ready. We're ready. We know. We know this is going to be hard work. I said, no, you don't. You don't know. <laughs> well, they were begging to go home after a few hours. And they never came back. Funny. Uh, Funny. They knew. They didn't finish your contract? Yeah, they did. Oh. They had more work for them to do to give them more money, and they said no. Uh, they knew, but they didn't know. Does that make sense? They knew there'd be suffering. They knew there'd be. They didn't know. Oh, but you're the Messiah. Bring them. Because I, I got scripture back it up. They kept, because in Acts, they said, now is the time they're going to take over militarily, and we're going to be set up as your generals. They knew, but they didn't know the full extent of what it really they, they, they knew, I, I agree with Bill, they knew there was going to be suffering. They saw it. I don't think they were ready for the extent. Because, like I said, the boys said, yeah, I know faith will work as hard. I've been married to the woman a long time. 
Your definition of hard is not what she's going to give you. It's going to be hard. And so, because I still think they thought that G there was a chance that Jesus was going to retire from heaven, <laughs> that, you know, even, as, okay, now's the time you're going to take over Rome, establish your throne, we're going to be your right-hand men, generals, right? And Jesus goes, no, I'm getting ready to leave again. I'm about, right. to, I'm about to go up. And they're like, what? What? Because even even Peter at the, at the, at the trial, Hi, he gets scared. He didn't know he was going to, oh, he was serious. I don't know the guy. Hey, I don't know the guy. You know, so I think I think there's a little bit of in the middle there. He, they knew, but they didn't know the extent. How about that as a possibility? And that's probably why Peter grabbed that sword and tried to chop off the man's ear. He thought, well, this is the time to fight. <laughs> they knew the suffering, but they were still. He didn't try. <laughs> I think they got the message. I think they got the message that there'd be suffering. I don't think they got the message when Christ said, "My my kingdom is not of this world. It's yeah. not a military. It's not a political. It's not that." It wasn't the action movie there. they were hoping for. There, that's a better way to put it. Right. There will be an action movie, but it's a long time down the road. When he comes back and takes over from the Antichrist and all that, then there will be a, then there will be a war. I mean, literally. At that point, but that's a I don't think there'll be a war. I think one word from Christ is over. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't oh, see this thing happening. Like I just, well, well what I meant is like he's going to come back with the Lord's army, you know, tens of thousands of his saints. Says that God gives the revenge to His people because of the deceit that the Antichrist brought upon the world and led mankind astray. So he could easily be like, you know, just like the flood, but he chooses to, and it was God's battle. because I've been reading Jeremiah. It's not so much vengeance, it's anger and jealousy is what he keeps telling Jeremiah why he's going to destroy all these all these cities, all these towns, all these people. He's going to just wipe them out because, because they were committing adultery against him by, by worshiping these idols. So that's not so much vengeance. That's That was anger and jealousy, and, and he's using the arm of the Lord. Vengeance, ven, the Lord said, vengeance is mine. And, and he will repay. And I think that when we come to that is the point when people come against God, then he will bring his vengeance, which is basically what is going to happen, supposedly, at the last times. The battle of Armageddon. Revelations and all that's going to happen. And there's also that part where it says that God will bind chapter 't he's omnipotent and we're nothing so exactly you know how helpful is an ant to you in cleaning up the garden you know what I'm saying yes 
not a Marvel movie. Okay, okay. <laughs> Verse 7. Where am I? But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm going to give you a chance to explain that in a minute, you and your magic Bible. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can, no longer, where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment, because the prince of the world it, it stands condemned? So this is a definition of the Holy Spirit. So let me draw this picture for you, and then I'm going to let you punch holes in it where I missed, okay? Uh, God, in the beginning, wants friends. He wants to commune with people. So he makes a bunch of angels who are basically yes-men. They're all psychopaths. Because they're standing right in front of God all the time, and they're designed to say, yes, sir. Well, that's not very satisfying. It's not... Love. It's not love. It's, or, I don't know what it is, but it's not, you know. So he keeps, he, he, he makes man with a free will. We have choice. We get to decide if we want to have a relationship. Yeah, don't look at you quit it, you Calvinist. So Fine, I'm not one. I stand in my Armenian roots. So uh, we are we have free will and God creates us so that we can have that relationship with Him. That is our purpose. God created us in his image. And there are all kinds of uh, interesting things that feed into that. If God is a creator and he creates us, what are we if we're in his image? We are creators too. That's where creativity comes from. We're driven to make things. I, I you know, I'm kind of plagued by that. I can't, I can't pick up something and not want to turn it into something else. But doesn't it say somewhere in the scripture that the creature is not greater than the creator? Not at all. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that we're created in his image and we reflect what God is and we are designed to commune with him. And I'm, build, I'm taking a long way to build up to a point, I promise. Um, we have a sense of right and wrong that is built into our very core that has nothing to do with our relationship with God. I think it has to do with our spirituality. The fact that we are different than animals and have a soul, and this is a reflection of that, but we know what right and wrong is. And C.S. Lewis even went so far as to make a case for this and define it. And basically he said, his big example was marriage. In the West, uh, we, people see it as okay for a man to have one wife. That is the structure of things. However, if you go to Saudi Arabia and you're wealthy, you can have four wives, and that is still very respectable. Back in the day, oh really? Okay, well, and, and Lester can probably correct me on this more than I know. 
Back in the day, it, it was more than four wives. Muhammad had more than four wives. But there's kind of a social something against more than four. If uh, we don't have to go there, um, because more than four, and it's getting a little sketchy. What, what, what are you doing with your life? You know, and, and uh, other good Arab sheiks will look at you funny if you have six wives. There, this is this is this is a little this is wrong. We're stepping over a line. How they get all, all the rich and the poor? I'll tell you one story. Okay, tell the story. Well, I was working over there. One the sergeant in the Air Force. I asked him. He told me he had three wives. <clears throat> I said, "Well, and your income? How can you afford three wives?" Hmm. He said, "It's very easy." He said, "In our law here, we buy one wife a dress. We have to buy them all three a dress. One house, we have to buy them all three house. So I just don't buy them nothing." Hmm. That's how they afford it. I don't live in Arabia. <laughs> uh, there are also tribal uh, 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 peoples that uh, have no marriage ceremony at all. And if you, uh, marriage is defined by the uh, woman that lives in your hut. If, 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 there's, if you're living in a hut with somebody, you married in their culture. And you have all of the responsibilities that go along with that in their culture. But there's still this concept of a line that you're not supposed to cross. When you step over that cross, everybody raises an eyebrow and looks at you funny because that just feels wrong. And Lewis's point is that we have this sense of right and wrong, but it's a, it's a nature. It's not a hard law. We define what that is, and we as a people are trying to figure out what right is. And it's a matter of it feels right. Or not, you know, if, if it speaks to our soul, whether or not it's right or not, and we know what's right or not. Uh, so we have these, we have a moral center. Meanwhile, God is perfect, and He wants to be our friend. We are sinful and following our own will, which is where a lot of that sin comes from. We're doing whatever we want, we're not. We can't stand in his presence justified. Just, you know, even if we were really good people and following our own moral standards, we can't live up to that. The whole book of Job is, is the definition of how good people can't stand before God all by themselves. There has to be something else. Job called out for an intercessor. So, God gives us one in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ becomes human. He lives a human life. He suffers the way we do. He dealt with all of our problems. He did not sin. He proved that it can happen. And then he dies as a sacrifice, covering all of our sin and repairing that initial relationship that Adam had with God in the beginning. And he rebuilds that so that now we stand justified before God, and we can approach him, and God can have that relationship that he was seeking to begin with. And then Christ ascends, and invisible Jesus shows up? No, it's the Spirit. You're talking about the Holy Spirit? I am. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. That was 
it's a little. It's they're a, all three in one. Yes, yes, yes. The Holy Spirit is God. But I think I think it's hard to un understand exactly what the Holy Spirit is here for. What does the Holy Spirit do? To convict you of your sin. Make you speak in tongues, right? I mean, that's it's God in you. It's when we receive Christ as God in you. You know, we're we're battling good and evil. So you've got Satan, and and this is legit. You know, through our thought, we got Satan and God. And so when we're faced with that temptation, God will kind of remind you, hey, you know that's wrong. That's the conviction. You know, you, people think it as uh, a conscience. That's what it is, you know. Conviction. You feel that conviction of, of, of Christ tells us when He comes, He will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment, and then He defines what those three things are. The Holy Spirit's function is to convict us. That's another purpose for We cannot convict other people. As Christians going out, following the Great Commission, trying to win over the world for Christ, we don't save anybody. We don't even convict anybody. We encourage and love and strengthen through the Word of God as believers. So we do have a role in it. Yes. We plant, but the Holy Spirit can and water, yeah. We, we can preach a message. The message I preach doesn't convict the sinner. The Holy Spirit convicts the sinner yes. through my sermon. Yes. How about that? Oh, through I the guess. I, okay. Here, here, here it is. I, I can, you know, as I was studying this, I kept just running up this tally of people in my life that I have felt a burden for that were so lost and they were so seeking. And they were so broken in many ways. And I took every last trick I knew. I, I presented them with the gospel and tracts and books. And I talked to them and I talked Jesus. And every trick I knew. And they should have been completely melted and, and accepted Christ and become a Christian. Did it happen? No. No, I am talking about the Holy Spirit. Let me get there. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> I tried to leave her at home today. I really, really did. <laughs> I'm glad you brought her. I'm glad you brought her. Went out of my way. I said, no, you're staying home. And then she showed up dressed. The Holy Spirit would have convicted you. So... Yeah, I can't convict people. I can I can present the gospel. I can give them my testimony. I can tell them the truth. But if they're not listening, I don't know that they can reach that conviction without the Holy Spirit intervening. I don't think I don't think it's going to happen unless the Holy Spirit is there placing that conviction on them. That's where the conviction comes from. So it's not that they don't just get saved without God. They don't even come to God without God. That was a pretty heavy revelation for me this week. No man can come to the Father except he come through Christ. Yes. That's where I agree with Calvin. Where did Calvin too get it right? Calvin's preached that. It's not about the preacher. Just go get 
Go get your certifications from the Presbyterians or something. Please, uh, just, just, just embrace it. You guys think I'm pro-Calvinist. I'm not. You, well, you just, bring up Calvinism every I'm, week. I'm every week. advocate with you. Oh, but in that situation, okay. that's, where they, that's where I think John Calvin got it right. Reform. Okay, okay, okay. Explain how Calvin got it right. Then. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you said because we, we because the, the extreme of Arminism is Armenianism is that we have a part in it. We we do not have salvation without God. Period. Without His influence. Without Holy Spirit. Uh, now we can resist that Holy Spirit. Now that's where Calvin goes off from us. Calvin says there is no resistance in the Holy Spirit because. You can't because you're a yes man, and and but I, you know, kind of what you're saying. They may not. They might be listening, but they may be resisting. The resistance and grieving of the Holy Spirit that takes place, and uh, you know we, we can resist the Holy Spirit all day long. Probably every person in this room has resisted the Holy Spirit at one time or the other, and so it's a resist. So no, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Oh wow! Okay, I wasn't sure. I was okay. Uh, Make it hard. Uh, but you know, but I mean, it, it is, it, and it's it's a it, it it does challenge some of the ways we were raised in our Assembly of God churches. That oh my goodness, you mean it's you know it's not about all about me? It, it, well, it, it is about about God. I think what was confusing for me to me for a while was that like, how is he part of like bringing people to himself when like when you're filled with the spirit you've already accepted him then you can hear him right then you can be given him access and you've surrendered but he's god like he can still communicate with he could people that he created without having them have like surrender everything first do you know what i mean so like well, he talks to sinners he talks to sinners yeah now. yeah i think that was hard for me at first We saw it on the cross. Those two men, the men were sinners, and he was told one of them he'd be with him that day in paradise. But there is also another part that you are leaving out of that the Holy Spirit does. Right now, the Holy Spirit is what is holding back the hand of God from coming. He's holding back the hand of Satan. When God removes the church and the Holy Spirit, that's when Satan, that's when the Holy Spirit steps out of the way, and then Satan can completely crush this world. Did you say anything about that? So, that's, I understand. That's in that scripture. He just read. He just read. I don't. I don't. No, I don't think it says that right there. What are you talking about? It's holding back the hand of God. No, holding back. Isn't he God? I'm pretty sure Holy Spirit is God. I said the Holy Spirit's holding back the hand of Satan. Oh, hand of Satan. Okay. When he, when the church is removed and the Holy Spirit is removed, that's when all the tribulation and everything's going to come back. But right now. The Holy Spirit is holding back Satan where he can only do so much. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. So if he leaves, does the world no longer get convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment? God wrath once the Holy Spirit leaves. So you're saying there's no chance of salvation? Well, well, that's what I'm asking you. Then where we'll get into disagreement is when does he go? Is it at the rapture? <laughs> yeah, it is, a, it, it, it is at the rapture. But before he came, he was still present. His office changes. 
yes. his office changes. He yeah. is Which not, was my next point. Yes. Thank you for leading into that. Explain office change. Go ahead. Because kind of almost like dispensation, you know, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had a certain role. The Holy, like Jesse said, the Holy Spirit just didn't come now. The, the office was changing with Christ ascending to heaven. His, 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 uh, his uh, office title, you know, and, and the corporation changed. And then the rapture happens. His, it's not that the Holy Spirit completely leaves because then you say there's no chance for salvation if you miss the rapture. Exactly. So we got to be careful. We, 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 we've been grown up in the church with these generalities that say these cliche statements, but we don't realize what the consequences of those general statements are. To say the Holy Spirit's completely gone, all right, salvation's out the door. There is no chance for salvation then. He's, he's still here, but his office has changed. His title has changed. His, his, his uh, work description. Job description. <laughs> that's, the, that's the word I was trying to come up with because he's been... He was at the beginning. A lot of well, times, when they God, people kind of act like the Holy Spirit was created in Acts. He's when, been around the whole time. When yeah. he comes, <laughs> it doesn't say when his office changes. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt. We know that the Holy Spirit was around during the Old Testament because yeah. because we we've. We've read scripture where some of the people in the Old Testament encountered the Holy Spirit. I mean, it just didn't happen. It wasn't open to everybody. It was at Pentecost. There was, pro the, there was the prophet, prophets. There right. were the some of the high priests. Spirit came upon saints. They yeah. killed the army of the Philippines. There's something about the bell being Even though it wasn't revealed to right. everybody, he was there. And he's sovereign. Like, he can talk to who he wants to talk to. According to the book of Revelations, it says whenever the sixth trumpet or the seventh trumpet is sound, then we will all be judged according to our works, great and small, and then God's wrath comes upon the world. So we know that that will be the time during the rapture, so then the Holy Spirit fills up with us because God knows all his children, God knows every single person that's going to choose him. All those that are left behind will not have a chance for salvation, you know, because they've been given that chance, and God knows their hearts, and he knows that they're not going to listen there won't be one person that will be able to stand before God saying, I didn't know, I didn't know. You know, God works in a mighty way and says a lot of people do his will and work. So, can, you know, can, can, we, can we end this part with this conclusion right here? Okay, I would love to end this part. God's got it under control. We're not going to understand it. Just, I leave it faith that is God. such a cop-out. I hate that answer. <laughs> I, I despise that said, answer. But can you fool You're it? just a human. You can't understand what they're saying. Trust the wise men who wrote the Bible. I, Don't try to think like them. Just embrace it. That is such a cop-out. I go back to my Augustine statement. Any God that can be explained by man is not God. <sighs> and also, I like the word comforter better. Well, with that. all respect. Yes, I know. With all respect... <laughs> To Augustine, I'm still going to try. Okay, no, he didn't say not to try. It, it's the journey of searching, yes. I agree with that. But you're, we got to. I also think Augustine was a coward, so there. I don't know. He, had don't a, know he was a wise man and well studied. He should have tried. I believe in the Trinity, but I can't explain the Trinity. And it's. Fair. Why would God create man to be his. Uh, Friend, if we're not able to understand it, well, do you Holy understand Spirit everything about me? It's also our teacher. 
I understand a lot about you. You have to understand a lot. He does give us the way to everything. No, I don't. That's what keeps all this interesting. Well, you think you understand me, and you're not even close. We search for God, <laughs> we search for God, and that makes us grow closer to God. But in the end, sorry, Revelation, we don't under every, understand everything. Oh, I agree. I, there are seven good interpretations of those revelations. I, I'll take any of them. I will still be your friend. <laughs> Hey, I got a scripture for you, my brother, to kind of back up what I'm saying. What it says very clearly, if you lack any type of wisdom to ask thy Lord, who gives generously. But he says that you must believe without swaying back and forth with doubt. So when, whenever you hear something that you're having a hard time understanding in the word of God, you must believe it very firmly. You know, and then ask the Lord. It's not doubt, and it's not a lack of wanting to know more. That you guys are completely misunderstanding. Oh, please explain. Kevin, have you explained everything? Have you understood everything about the Bible and God? Do you? Yes or no? Well, no. Of course not. not a Christian according to that policy. What? Because you don't know God. That's why we keep studying, that's why we keep studying the Word. That's, to to thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Bill. I, I don't understand everything about the Trinity, but I seek out more knowledge if I can. But I also can understand the fact, I can accept the fact that I don't know everything. I, I know the basics. I know what's required. So according to James chapter chapter one verse five through eight, it says, uh, "Ask and you shall be given." The Lord gives generously, but do not doubt, because if you doubt, you doubt. are a double-minded. Get him, Joe. Get him. Get him. Double-minded man. I'll say <laughs> But okay, but then, but then, if you guys admit that you don't know everything, you're you're going against. You're doubting, and you don't know everything about God. No, no, no. I think every time I, think, I read this Bible through a second time or a third time, I find something new that I miss. And I'm not. I think a recognition of my own lack of knowledge is not doubt. There's a difference between doubt and a lack of knowledge. Thank you. So Christ is basically saying, I've been teaching you guys for the last three years, and only one of you has been taking notes. Uh, I haven't covered everything, but the Holy Spirit is coming and will guide you to the truth. Now that's not kind of interesting, isn't it? It kind of pre uh, 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 foreshadows the, the coming of the Gospels. And you have the Holy Spirit inspiring men to record these, these, these uh, uh, recordings of the Gospels. Now, when the Gospels were written, 
They were written within the lifetimes, at least in my interpretation, of all of these people that saw this. And so you had witnesses that were reading these that were verifying what were seen. And so you have corroborations, at least in Acts, it even goes through the whole list of those corroborations. Um, I assume the Holy Spirit is still revealing truth to us. You become the spiritual right? teacher. Absolutely. Yeah. So what happens when the truth starts to get a little weird? Well, what did she say? It's not truth anymore. Well, what do you mean? What's your definition of weird? Yeah. Okay, all throughout Christian history, there have been people who uh, have been teaching gospel, often very accurately, and then as their ministry moves on, uh, it shifts off focus, and we end up going in a strange direction. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about... Uh, heretical teaching. I'm talking about cults. I'm talking, it's not even that. It's, you know, corrupt ministers. Paul had that. And, 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 yeah. <laughs> I, you, you, we all have a list, you know. Uh, I would love to go down to the cult people, but it, it, it's, it's, you know, ha as a Baptist, we used to make fun of Pentecostals because every famous Pentecostal minister I could think of was corrupt. It's like, would I want to join this denomination in the 70s? <laughs> no. You know, it was ridiculous. Uh, because, and I've got a whole lecture on that, which I won't go into. But uh, the thing is, the Holy Spirit will lead us to the truth. But if that truth is inconsistent with what we already have in gospel, then it's not the truth. And even reason, like, Kind of like that's kind of profound. It is very. It, that's in the okay. assembly. Oh. God, that's in the assembly. God, uh, God, by law, by the way. Oh, is it? Yeah. About reason, about their section on reason. It it might be above it, but it will not contradict it. It's like Paul was in a lot of agony because he was teaching these churches. He established these churches, but then these people would come in and start trying to teach another Jesus and trying to lead them another direction or try to get into them on circumcision or try to get in them on it's okay to sleep with your neighbor's wife or whatever. And you know it's he. Not. He was, he was literally always, <laughs> he was always having to write letters, you know, to correct, to trying to correct them because he would, he would establish the church and then somebody would come in and come up with all these off the wall things that it was okay to do and, and leading them back, you know, it's why, that's why he finally said in one place in Galatians, who bewitched you that you want to go back where you came from? Yeah, and that's, and that's what the Bible talks about. That's why we need to be equipped with this word so we can have that discernment. So when we hear, see, like I hate to use this as an example, like I was talking to somebody about John 15, about Jesus being the vine and we are the branches, and what it says there, because a lot of a lot of believers, especially Baptists, have this perception of once saved, always saved. I was a Baptist, you know. Still am, I'm a Christian, I'll just say that. But anyways, so they have this perception of once saved, always saved, and they believe that they use this uh, verse that, oh, no one can take you from my hand or take you away from me. And so what he's saying very clearly there is no one has that decision whether or not you make it into heaven or hell. It could because right here very clearly it says if you do not produce the fruits of Christ, you will be cut from the vine. So it's talking about believers. 
because if at one point they were a branch of the vine, but because they produced no fruit, they were cut from the vine. So these are people that receive salvation or go to church on a regular basis. You know, so that's why it's really important to equip yourself with the word of God. And I want to also share this, I'm sorry. You know, the Bible also gives more indication of unbelief and the consequences to unbelief. So because they're going around and they're teaching, because they're telling people, hey, once saved, always saved, you know, and that's a false deception, which when someone is faced with a temptation, they have the mindset of, oh, well, there's nothing that I can do to lose my salvation. So therefore, they don't even put on an effort or try or walk in discipline. And so they're led astray through false teaching. And so because of their unbelief, they will not be able to enter God's rest. And that's in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. So when you go and you correct them, you try to tell them, hey, this is what the word says. And they choose not to believe and rely on their own understanding, which the Bible says to be careful about. They will have punishment. I'm not saying they won't enter the kingdom of heaven, but they will not be able to see the face of God. They will not be able to enter his rest. And it talks about it very clearly. So there's consequences. And that's just one verse. There's several other that they kind of get and kind of twist it around and, you know. So anyways, you just got to be real careful and make sure that you are spending as much time in the word of God so that you can have that discernment. I will accept, if I understood everything that you just said, I, I will <laughs> accept your interpretation. Now, you said you were came up as a Baptist? Well, yeah. What is the Baptist answer to what you just said? You know what it is. What is the Baptist answer? They were never saved to begin with. Oh, yes. Yeah, they were never saved to begin with. It's, just a, it's a matter of perspective. I don't think this really matters. I really don't think we're this not matters. Saying they 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 were saved. They were saved. I'm not, I'm not preaching nothing. I'm, not, I'm just making sure we're not saying that if they hold to the opinion of one saved, always saved, no. they're not saved. No. Right. At least, no, I hope you're not. Well, Kevin, let me say something. Let me pick up on something you said. Every cult, every false teaching. This is most, I know there are some, but there, most false teachings that come across in the church are not saying, hey, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to tell you the opposite. Uh -huh. There's none rarely happens. What it is is the interpretation of the same scripture. Yeah. Right. They're saying they're just as biblical as you are. Right. That's, you but just, that's not what this means, and you don't understand these words. Got, I've got, I got revelation. I've got new God. revelation mm -hmm. from God. You guys have been messing up this scripture for all mm -hmm. time. And this is what it really means to where the biggest thing is end times. You want to go. Everyone bases your salvation on what you believe about the end times because it's new revelation. What's the fear? What's the what's because I read a book and people sent it to me that was trying to convince me of their thinking. They said, Here, here's the danger of you not accepting my interpretation of the end times, you'll lose your salvation. My salvation is based upon my interpretation of the end times. That's what you're telling me? Are they saying? <laughs> I haven't heard this one. Now, explain. Oh, well, no, 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 no. How, how have I missed this trend? Because what they do, what it is, it's pride. Hey, if you're not accepting what I'm preaching, you're in danger of losing your salvation. Yeah. Because you're not going to accept other scriptures. So they're getting completely off the main title and the main scriptures. But let's go back to the Holy Spirit and the subject at hand, please. So I just kind of want to add to what you're saying. When people read the Word of God and they're taking things out of context, they're not truly reading the Word of God. You know, before you say anything, they're reading certain verses. Oh, I and then they're giving those people saying, a little bit of a break. They're, they're, Come on. they're reading certain verses and they're taking things out of context. They need to read the whole chapter or the whole book before they come to a conclusion. Like, Fair. Like if you look up Luke chapter 22. Don't argue. And, I'm not you know, arguing. <laughs> people, people take that verse, like Luke chapter 22. It talks about 
that Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, when you were on, when, when I sent you out, did you lack anything? And they How said, no, my Lord. He said, but now that you have a little bit of, of money, we sell your purse How can we and buy not? a sword. So people take that and they're saying, oh, well, the Lord's saying to buy a sword. But they're not fully reading it. Lord was being sarcastic because later on we know that. No, the Lord was he, sarcastic. He was getting on to them about it. Okay. Because, you know, he said, you didn't lack anything, but now that you got a little bit of money, what do you do? You sell your trinket and you go out and you buy a sword. He was being sarcastic to them. Kind of, but they didn't see it and they're like, and then they said, they said, look, Lord, we got two swords. And the Lord said, that's enough. <laughs> I'm sorry, but anyway. Can we go back to the later on, again, please? He repeated <laughs> later it. On. Sarcasm is, is saying the opposite of what you mean, and I don't think that ever happens with Christ. Well, because he was being But he refuted what they were saying. I think yeah, that's what you're trying to because say. Because they yeah. went out and bought a sword, and he said, yes. so he gets on, you have to read it. It's Luke chapter 22, I, verse 23. So can we go back to what, the, what was So anyways, this is what I'm saying. So people take that verse, and they say, oh, well, look, the Lord is saying to buy a sword. But we clearly know that later on he tells Peter, who lives by the sword shall die by the sword. You know, that we are not to, to have that state of mind, to have no fear, to trust in our Lord, to walk in love. The Bible talks about love so much. God so loved the world. You know, we are to love one another. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's all about love, you know. So we know very clearly that people take that verse out of context because it's what's in their heart. It's what they want to believe. You know, but if they clearly read, then they would see what it's saying. So there, I've read the Bible, my brother. I'm telling you, there is nothing here that contradicts itself. It's just, a, it boils down to people, they're, they're, they're what they want and what's in their heart. And that's all I'm going to say about that. They make sure about that. <laughs> Study is a process. For sure, you tell me. And you can read the Bible, read, read a, a book of the Bible, and gain all kinds of revelation from it, and you can grow spiritually as a Christian. And then you can come back to it five years later, after five years of life experience, having endured all kinds of tragedy and joy, read that same chapter again, and it teaches you something entirely different that you missed the first time through back when you were 17, when you read it the first time. But that's what you the know? scripture you're reading there is explaining the helper. Yes, and I think the Holy Spirit reveals himself to us as we're able to, Joe, process it. I, I, think, I think sometimes, you know, if you're in third grade and you read a college lesson, you're not going to follow it because you've got a long way to go before you get to that. And I think the Holy Spirit keeps us on grade level, to use a, a, a teacher term, you know, and he's going to reveal to us as we come to him and at the level that we need him to. And when you get to contradictions, there are, this is a big book with a lot of different verses, and it was written over a course of, what was it, 4,000 years by 52 different authors, I think it was? Uh, I got that wrong, I'm sure. So you're saying uh, I, I don't say it contradicts itself. I think it miraculously does not. However, I think uh, if you have, uh, if you understand a book in the Bible a certain way, and then you read another book and it kind of reinterprets how you interpret that, that's fine. You're allowed to change your mind. You're allowed to have a broader understanding. It's okay. 
but you just don't want to introduce ideas that are not scriptural and then try to interpret them scripturally. I think that's where the danger comes the in. The Bible clarifies itself. It doesn't contradict itself. Yeah. Yes. So, verse 14, finishing this up. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So the Holy Spirit is going to take what Jesus is and give it to the disciples. All that belongs to the Father is mine. So Jesus knows God's mind. Imagine that. That is why I say the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So the Holy Spirit is, is transferring the thought and knowledge and understanding of God to us and it's revealing it to us as we are capable of processing it. And, and I know it doesn't say that part, but I, I added that in the Gospel of Kevin. In a little while, you will see me no more. Then after a little while, you will see me. So I'm about to leave you and leave you in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And that is where we're stopping because we're completely out of time. We will pick it up at verse 17 next time. Oh, oh it, it, what was it? It's the comforter? Is that what it was? Not the counselor, it's the comforter? Okay. I just like that, but I prefer helper because that's what it's <laughs> okay, goodbye, Internet. I hope someone was listening to all that. <laughs>